Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. I just want to jump into the Word today. I want to jump into the Word. Our launch scripture comes from John chapter 20, verse 20. John chapter 20, verse 20 says, After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. Bow your heads with me as we prepare to hear a word entitled, Where the Wounds Were. Father in heaven, open our hearts. We are prepared to receive. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Jesus was crucified on Friday at this point. Jesus uh, took a little Sabbath nap on Saturday, uh, and then he rose on Sunday, this is where we are. We're just setting up some context for what we're talking about today. By this time, uh, the empty tomb had been discovered by the women already. Um, had, had been seen by Peter, by John. Uh, at this point, Jesus now appears to two travelers on the road to Emmaus, one of which his name is Cleopas, and the other we don't know the name of, but Jesus did in fact appear to the two of them. And Jesus asks what they're talking about as they're walking on the road to Emmaus. And they tell him all about Jesus. So Jesus has died. He's come back, and now he's interacting with the very people who are grieving the loss of him. Stick with me. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus asks them, what are you talking about? And they proceed to tell the Savior about himself. And then as the sun goes down and the night draws near, they then ask Jesus if he would like to stay. Again, still not knowing that he is Jesus. They, the, the, the scripture says that, that, that it was prevented from them to understand or recognize who he was. Jesus appeared to them, but they did not realize that he was, in fact, the one about whom they were talking. And they invited him to stay with them for the evening since the night was so close. Now, we're going to pick it up right there. We're going to pick the story up right there in Luke chapter 24. Verse 35, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. This is verse 31 now. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So Jesus appeared to Cleopas and the other traveler. They invited Jesus to come in and then they recognized, whoa, we just had a whole meal with this man. He broke the bread on our table. They sat with him and didn't even recognize him. Verse 28 says that they approached the village to which they were going, and Jesus continued as if he were going to go farther. I just want to point out a couple things here, is that before Jesus was invited by them to come to their home, Jesus intended to continue walking. He intended to continue on his journey, but because they intervened, and they invited him in, Jesus stayed with them. And I know a lot of us, we think of, uh, of God and we have this image of Christ as one who just knocks on the door and waits. And this is true. Jesus does, in fact, knock on the door and wait. He, he's a gentleman. But I want to also point out that when you let him in, he'll take over. Because the scripture doesn't say that he just came and, and slept on their couch. No, the scripture says that he came in and he actually, he, he, he actually took over. 
The scripture says that, that, that Jesus became the host in that place. And now I want you to understand in traditional Jewish culture, when you have a guest in your home and you're sharing a meal with them, it's the host who breaks the bread and shares it and distributes it. It's the, it's the host who does the, the hosting. But in this case, Jesus was the one who in the home that he didn't belong in or in the home that was not his was the one who broke the bread. Jesus took on the position of the host. Verse 31 says that then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now theologians have a couple different suggestions for why it is that they recognize him. Perhaps it was the authority with which he prayed over the meal. Maybe it was the, the majesty with which he, he blessed their time together. Uh, perhaps it was the pierced hands that passed them the bread. And this is what I believe is the case, is that it was the pierced hands that passed him the bread. Because in Jewish custom, when you, when you break the bread, you break it like this and you distribute it palms up. So when you're sitting at the table and you're hosting a meal at the table, it, it is customary for the host to break that bread and distribute it hands up. And I believe that it was a possibility that they actually saw the scars in his hands and that's how they recognized who he was. And the scripture does not say very, very, very clearly or specifically, but this is, this is, is my belief. Because the fact of the matter is, prior to the meal that they had with him, Jesus walked with them for seven miles, it says. Jesus walked and talked with them for seven miles before he sat with them, but they did not recognize him by his words. They knew him by his wounds. We're talking about healing today. They did not recognize him by his Words They knew who he was by his wounds. This is my first point, and I only got two of them for you today. It's the hurt that reveals the healer. It's the hurt that reveals the healer. Let me point your attention to verse 32, because everything's coming from the Scripture today. I'm not, I'm not taking a lot of creative license in today's message. Verse 32 says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us on the road? They're saying now that he, he made himself, he, they know who he is. He disappeared from their sight, it says. And so now they go back and man, didn't you know? Our hearts were burning while he was talking to us. We didn't recognize him, but I know you felt it too. My heart was burning. Your, your heart was burning too, wasn't it? And it's interesting that it's his words that made their heart burn, but his wounds that opened their eyes. Because sometimes that tells me that the power of an example is greater than the power of an explanation. Listen, family, too many of us in our Christian experience are, are, are believing that we cannot be effective in our ministry. We cannot be real witnesses of, of the work of God in our lives because we cannot explain him well enough. Too many of us are reading books believing that if we don't memorize the chapters, if we don't know where in scripture I can find this, that I then cannot be an effective minister for the work of the Lord. And I'm here to stand against that today because Jesus is not something to be explained. He is someone to be experienced. And the explanations that Jesus gave on that seven mile walk did not do with the example 
of his wounds did. For their understanding. Where are you limiting your own ministerial potential, your own power for impact? Because you don't believe you have the right words to witness. I'm speaking to someone today. Because the truth of the matter is, it's not always about what you can explain. Sometimes it has to be about what you experience. Because sometimes it's not until your heart has been broken. It's not until you're at the very end of your road. It's not until everyone else has abandoned you. It's not until you are ready to give up. It's not until you've cried yourself to sleep and woke up wishing you hadn't. It's not until, sometimes it's not until you feel the feeling that he's the farthest from you, that you recognize him in your darkness. I'm speaking to someone today because Psalms 34, 18 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. But sometimes it's not until you face the darkest hour of your night that the sun will rise. Sometimes it's your pain that points you to his presence. Sometimes it's your wound that awakens you to the warmth of his touch. It's your wounds. Your wounds. How are your wounds pointing you to the healer? I don't know how you've been hurt. I don't know what you've endured, but you do. And you're thinking of that thing right now. How is your pain pointing you to the one who can heal you? We talk a lot about trauma and family. I know you've heard me say something to this effect in the past, but the word trauma that we use in the English language comes from a Greek word that actually means wound. It means pierced, to have become pierced. And I'm grateful that we live in a society that is becoming more aware of mental health and our struggles, but we need to recognize what we're really talking about when we're talking about trauma. We're not talking only about an event. We're not talking about, uh, about something that happened that was out of the ordinary. What we're talking about is a wound that is deep within you. A wound that has impacted your ability to move forward in the way that you did prior to that impact. What's so interesting to me about this idea of trauma or this idea of your wound is is, is the fact that research in, in psychology suggests that there are two things that people who have experienced trauma often come out the other end with. Two things, and those things are self-efficacy and self-understanding. What the research says is that those who have experienced trauma, those who have been hurt, those who are wounded, have a higher level of self-efficacy. Let me explain what this is. This means that this is the belief that you can accomplish difficult things. So what I mean to say is that before you were wounded, you may have struggled to believe that you could accomplish something in the midst of difficulty, whereas after the trauma, you now possess a confidence that you did not have prior to. Self-efficacy is confidence in the skills you acquired through adversity. 
Self-efficacy has a positive correlation with the degree of trauma that you experienced and the healing therein. The second thing that research tells us about trauma is those who have experienced trauma also have a higher level of self-understanding. A self-understanding looks like self-regulation. It looks like you now have a greater sensibility to the things in your environment that are irritating you. A greater sensitivity and ability to manage internally the things that are happening externally. We're talking about trauma. Self-understanding means you have a greater, more proficient degree of, 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 of self-stress management, of self-awareness. I'm sharing with you the research so that you'll understand it is not only scripture that indicates the power of healing. I want you to understand that research suggests these same things as well. There are wounds that you've experienced. There are hurts that you've had. There are feelings that result as, as a result of the things that you've gone through that will never show on your body, but that are deeper and more hurtful than anything that could ever bleed. And I know you carried many of those things here in you today. But what if your wounds, what if your wounds don't reveal where you are weak? They actually tell you where you've been strong. Trauma creates change that you don't choose, but I want you to understand that healing is the change that you do choose. You may not have chosen how you were hurt, but you get to choose how you heal. You may not have chosen what happened to you, but you get to choose how you respond to it. What hurt you? What hurt you? What is God trying to harvest through your hurt? There's a word of healing here for someone today. What is God trying to harvest through your hurt? It's the hurt that reveals the healer. We continue on in the story and we see that verse 33 says that they got up. After they realized who he was, they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together, verse 34, and saying, it is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. When he broke the bread. Now, what's interesting, family, and I don't want to dismiss this as a possibility for your thinking, and you may have thought this already, but Pastor Rico, it never says in Scripture that they saw the scars. You're right. They didn't say that. It never said that Cleopas and the other traveler, while sitting and eating with Jesus, recognized who he was by the scars. It says that they recognized who he was by the way he broke the bread, by the, by, by the bread. But in this instance, I want to open your eyes to something that Luke left out that John did not. So in John chapter 20, verse 19, I'm going to read this in your hearing. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So in this instance, we now see Jesus is specifically showing his, 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 his wounds to the disciples. And I just want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself, how many of you are seeking to prove your identity by your successes? But when it came, came time for Christ to prove who he was, he showed him his wounds. How many of us are trying to hide where we've been hurt. And that's the way that we want to present ourselves to the world, that our Christianity, we believe, can be summed up and can be received by other people in a more palatable way if we hide our hurt. Yet when the disciples questioned who Jesus was and if the authenticity of what he was presenting to them was actually him, he showed them where he had been hurt. John chapter 20, verse 24, I want to continue in the story. Verse 24 says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nail marks were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, it's funny because Thomas gets a bad rap. We call Thomas Doubting Thomas because we paint this picture that because he didn't believe, he didn't have enough faith. That's what the church does. You know how church folk are. They take you and label you by your one little thing, by the one little thing you did wrong. You don't see the scripture and the people who wrote this. Thomas didn't write this account, by the way. It was John. But you don't see anyone talking about John. You don't see. They were locked in the room, it said. They were scared. You don't see them talking about scaredy Simon. You don't see that, but they want to talk about doubting Thomas. They don't want to talk about, you know, cheating Charlie. They don't want to talk about all their stuff. They want to paint someone else. You know how it goes in the church world, how people like to paint pictures in their own little way. But so many of us try to, try, try to, try, try to project this image that is inaccurate to who we really are in our faith journey. But what you see Thomas has done here is Thomas has done what a real Christian would do. Thomas said, nah, I'm not going to go on my father's faith. I'm not going to go on my mother's faith. I don't want to just know my grandmother's God. I want to know my own. I don't want to know just re-loves God. I don't want to know this church's God. I want to know Christ for myself. I'm not listening to what you say until... My fingertips feel his flesh. The same way. He said, I will not let go of you until you bless me. He said, I'm going to hold on to my skepticism until I feel his flesh. We're talking about wounds today, family. How many of you are a Christian just by generational Christianity? How many of you are here today because you may not have had a choice growing up and this has become a part of your regularly scheduled programming? I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you acknowledge an opportunity that Christ has before you that he wants to get to know you better. Thomas gets a bad 
rap. The truth is, Thomas was honest. Why don't we call him honest, Thomas? Why don't we call him truthful, Thomas? Thomas needed to know for himself who Jesus was. Now, we all have doubts. We've all been hurt. The same way the rest of the disciples were sitting behind a door that was locked because they were afraid of, of, of the Romans. I want you to understand that the scripture includes that the door that they were in was locked because they were locking themselves in for fear of, of being harmed by the same people who killed Jesus. Remember, there's a, a confusion, a mystery around this empty tomb. And people are saying, oh man, it must be those disciples. They broke in. They stole the body of Jesus. So the disciples are afraid and I want you to notice what fear does to you. Fear locks you in to the place where you are. Fear takes away your opportunity to go out. Fear closes and locks the door. This is what we see happening here. But we want to talk about Honest Thomas. And we're a bunch of fearful Christians. Don't let anybody fool you, family. Everyone's been hurt. Just because those who are locked away in their tight little church corner may have been hurt differently than you, everyone has been hurt. Continuing in verse 26, a week later, John 20, 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. So seven days has passed by. The disciples are back locked in that little room, and Thomas is with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Remember, the first time Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas was not there. Now it's been seven days, Thomas is there. Jesus comes back just for Thomas. And see, some of us walk around and think we miss Christ. Man, I, I, I saw God do it for that person. I saw him come through for that person, but he's not coming through for me. But Jesus leaves the 99 for the one. He showed himself to the, to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. So seven days later, Christ comes back. But in that seven days, family, can you imagine how Thomas felt in that seven days? Woo! Can you imagine? Can you imagine all your friends and all your buddies and all the people you go to church with talking about how good God is because he showed himself to you? Can you imagine? What you must come to believe about yourself if Christ showed himself to everyone but you. And some of us feel passed over. Some of us are looking at the way others around us have been blessed. We're looking at the flow in other people's lives and we feel that God just doesn't want that thing for me. How many of you have had to, had to pause in your pain? Thomas had to wait seven days. How many of you had to, to, to halt in your hurt? How many of you have had to wait seven days in pain waiting for a word from God? Because family, sometimes in your healing journey, God will leave you in a place where you don't understand to develop your desire to draw near to him. He will leave you in a place where you don't have all the answers to help develop in you the desire to draw near to him, to be close to him. Because the lack of confusion, the clarity is not in the answer, it's in his presence. Yes. It's not in you understanding everything happening around you. It's in you sitting in the suck with God. Yes. Thomas had to wait seven days. We're talking about 
healing. If your faith needs an explanation, how will it sustain you through the remainder of your journey? If you can muster up enough courage and strength in the moments of your weakness, in the darkest hour of your night, in your hurting, on your journey toward healing, and you can convince yourself and you can tell yourself that I need this right now. I need to sit in this place because there's more journey to come. God's trying to take me farther than this. I cannot sit in the valley of the shadow of death. I must walk through it. And joy comes in the morning. Verse 27 says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Can you imagine? Jesus shows back up. But this time, just for Thomas. Jesus comes back for the one. He shows back up. Just, hey, Thomas. I heard you didn't believe that I stopped by last week when you weren't here. Oh, oh, Jesus, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was, I was out of the grocery store. I, I, I didn't ask you what you were doing, Thomas. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I was, it's not that I didn't believe you. It's like, I didn't ask you what you were doing. Thomas, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm so scared, I don't understand. I didn't ask you what you were doing. Thomas, touch my hand. I heard, Thomas, that you won't believe until you feel the flesh. Thomas, I heard that you will not heal until you feel my wound. Thomas, touch my hand. Look at the grace. Look at the picture of mercy. Look at the compassion. Look at the way Christ met Thomas right where he is. He didn't demand an, an excuse. He did not demand a reasoning. He did not demand any explanation. He wanted him to come and experience something. Put your finger where I was hurt, Thomas. Put your finger where the sin was. Thomas, put your finger where the shame was. Put your finger where the guilt was. Put your finger where the confusion was. Put your finger where the abuse was. Put your finger where the heartbreak was. Put your finger where it hurts. Jesus did not show Thomas his wounds. He showed him his scars. And there's a difference. There's a difference between a wound and a scar. Because if Jesus has resurrection power, you may ask yourself, why then would he not do a little cosmetic surgery on these scars? Why would he leave the scars visible? If he has the power to come back to life and raise himself from the grave and roll open a rock, why then would he leave scars in his hands? Let me tell you why. Because your wounds tell you where it hurts, but your scars tell you that it healed. Your wounds tell you where it hurt, but your scars tell you where it healed. That's the second point. Your scars remind you that you exist in the beautiful place between delicate and durable, in the beautiful place between humanity and heaven, in the beautiful place between fragility and flexibility between your grind and his grace. Your wounds tell you it hurt, but your scars tell you it healed. I'm closing. Your scars remind you 
that the God of your yesterday is also the God of your tomorrow. Healing does not mean that, 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 that what hurt you didn't happen. That's not what healing means. Forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. And for a lot of you, you're still healing or still hurting because of your failure to forgive. For many of us, forgiveness is the next step in our healing journey. Healing doesn't mean that what happened didn't hurt. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Healing means you stop keeping tabs on the people who hurt you because wounds can't heal if you keep touching them. It's that simple. The scar won't form if you keep picking at the scab. This is third grade stuff, 101 family. Sometimes you got to let go of the hurt for the scar to form. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It just means that you are releasing what was for what can be. Scars can't form if you keep pulling at the scab. Healing means you can acknowledge that what happened happened. Healing means that you can acknowledge that, that you grew up in a home that was abusive. Healing means that you can acknowledge that there may have been alcohol involved. It means you can acknowledge that there may have been infidelity. It means you can acknowledge that there may have been something that happened to you, but you do not remain in the grave of that past. That's what healing means. Healing means that you can move beyond the reality that once was and move into where God is calling you today. Your scars remind you that what hurts you doesn't hold you. Think about what Jesus was showing Thomas. He showed him where those nails were driven in, just between, just above the, the, the bone where the wrist meets the hand so that it was strong enough to keep his body up there so that asphyxiation can take place as his body is hanging and he's losing his breath and losing his, his weakness. He showed him that. He showed him the, the locations where the, 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 the nails were driven into his hand and the blood came out. He showed him that. He's showing Thomas where the spear pierced his side. He's showing Thomas where he was hurt. The place where the nails were reminds you of what happened. I fell short and that happened. I messed up the marriage that happened. I made the mistake that happened. They abused me that happened. It's not that it didn't happen. It's not that it didn't hurt. It's that healing is your future. And I know family, it can be easy to forgive when the person you're forgiving is gone. They're not in your life anymore. There hasn't been reconciliation. You, you, you're moving on. It can be easy to forgive when that happens. But what about when you're in the midst of the custody battle? What about at pickup and drop-off time for the kids? What about when you still can't be touched without feeling the shame resurface of the way you've been touched inappropriately? It's not that the pain goes away. Be gone with the teaching that forgiveness makes it numb. You will continue to feel. 
It did happen, and it did hurt. But the truth of the matter is some of us are still waiting for this feeling of forgiving. We're, we're, we're waiting for this feeling of forgiving, but family, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a function of faith. Forgiveness is not, it, it's not just this thing that comes over you. It's something that you do. It takes faith to believe that where the nails were is the same place where the healing is. It took faith for Thomas to believe that where those nails were is where Jesus actually died. You, 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 we, we have to recognize the power of our scars. If Jesus would have taken the scar away, the disciples never would have known who he was. Sometimes the source of your greatest strength will come from the stars that represent your greatest weakness. And this is what 2 Corinthians 9-11 is all about. This is 12-11. This is what it's all about. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Family, today, I just want to ask that you raise your hands with me. If you're willing, wherever you are in your healing journey, wherever you are in your journey toward faith, wherever you are, I just want to ask that you raise your hand with me. And this is what I'm asking you to raise your hand for, that you raise your hand only to acknowledge that God is doing a work right here and right now. To make a commitment that I'm going to try to do better at not hiding my wounds, but I'm going to start showing my scars. If you can make that commitment, and it may not be for everybody, I just ask that you raise your hand as we pray together. And family, remember, it is the hurt that reveals the healer, and it is your wounds that tell you it hurt, but your scars that tell you it healed. Father, we're grateful for the resurrection story. We're grateful for the goodness in the empty tomb. And Father, we recognize that this word has practical application value for our Monday morning, God, and we want to commit to moving forward out of this space and out of this time, acknowledging the work you're doing in our healing journey and submitting and surrendering our personal wills to you in that direction. In your holy name, I pray. Amen and amen.